Please turn with me in your Bibles, the book of Daniel chapter 7 this morning. As we continue our series in the book of Daniel, the Most High delivers kingdoms. In the first section of this passage, we looked at the Most High destroying kingdoms. As he topples them, destroys them. As a sovereign king and God who gives these kingdoms. The next section that we are about to examine this particular morning will cause us to realize this truth that man was not made for the present, and the present was not intended to satisfy man. As we look in the book of Daniel, you begin to realize the truth that it is for the future, not for the present, that man exists. But yet, we are living in a times, in a days, when we have been lied to, deceived to, and the enemy, knowing as to how things are going to pan out, we are told in the book of Revelation, chapter number 12, that there was actually a war in heaven. War broke out between Michael and his angels. They was fighting. They were fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels, they fought back. We are told in the book of Revelation, and he was defeated. It's a done deal. Complete. And there was no longer any place for him and for them. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent that is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, our dwelling, where our forefathers, Adam and Eve, had been commanded and had been given the privilege by God to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the earth and fill it. The enemy, the ancient serpent of old, was thrown here. Now one would ask this question, what is his mission and what is his mandate? He has come here for this particular objective, to make war against the sons of God. So then to say the truth, then we are in the war zone. And I've said this statement, and I'll repeat it this morning, that we are not on a vacation here. 
So as we come and we see what is written in the word of God, you begin to realize that the battle is won. The devil has been defeated. He is the accuser of the brethren, you and I. Such that then it is very important. Let me pick from where I left last week. You and I can either focus on the accuser of the brethren or on the advocate of the brethren. Or we may fix our eyes on the adversities and the atrocities that we are facing instead of fixing our eyes on the victory that awaits us. And where is the certainty of that? In Daniel chapter number 7, and we'll read this morning from verse number 13 to 28, answers that. How can you be so sure that everything else is going to get better? How can you be so sure that the God we trust in is a true God? How can you be sure, actually, that our mission and our mandate is not necessarily to once again stand somewhere in the corner and we focus more on the devil more than we focus on God. Or if I borrow the words of James, why must you submit yourself to God? Why is Christianity worthy living for or even worthy dying for? Or should I ask this question, maybe why are you a Christian? Daniel chapter number 7 Verse number 13 to 28. Let's stand on our feet as we read in honor of the reading of God's word. Daniel tells us as he recounts the story as of the visions that he saw. And he continues in verse 13. I saw in the night visions. And behold the clouds of heaven. There came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, my spirit within me was anxious, and the vision of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there. I asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me. And he made known to me the interpretation of these things. Verse 17, these four beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the sense of the most high God shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, Daniel tells us which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and, bro and, and, and broke in pieces and stampled what was left with its feet. 
And, and about the ten horns that were on the head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, and the horn that had eyes and mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints, prevailed over them. Until the ancient of days came, judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus is said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth. And it shall be different from all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth. It shall trample it down. It shall break it in pieces. As for the ten horns, and the, out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise. Another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones. And he shall put down three kings. He, he shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the sense of the Most High. He shall think to change the times of the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and a half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment. And his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion of the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heavens shall be given to the people of the sense of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him may god bless the reading of his word you may have your seats this morning let's bow our heads and we ask the father to be with us even as we seek for the interpretation of this Our glorious and mighty God, we do bow before you this morning once again. We come to you like that man. We want to see Jesus. So may your spirit open our eyes to see him. It may feel as though we are in the night. Darkness all around us. It is in this hour we desire to have a view of you. The bright and the morning star. You are beautiful beyond description. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. You are the King, eternal, immortal, invisible. We desire to see you who is the glory of the Father, the exalt implant of his nature. 
we desire to see you, who is able to come face to face with young men who are bound by the powers of this age, and you are able to say, be free. We come to you because you have the words of eternal life. So we ask that your Holy Spirit will lead us. He will guide us into all truth. That even as we look at this passage this morning, I pray, Lord, for the humility in receiving your word, not as the word of man, but as it is as the word of God. I do pray for the ability and the empowerment of your spirit that we will not just be mere hearers of your word, but doers as well. So equip us for service even out of this. Grant us a great sense of urgency from this. Grant us an excitement and hope in the face of our afflictions from this, that Christ may be found to us as our all in all. It is in his name we ask and we pray, and may God's people say amen. The Most High delivers the kingdoms. As we come to this particular text and passage, we've examined in the past weeks, and we have seen what God, in the economy of redemption, has put in place. The theme of Daniel is the sovereignty of God, and Daniel proves to us that the Most High reigns over the kingdoms of men. He is the one who has power to appoint. He is the one who has power to remove the powers that be. And as we come to this text this morning, and we examine as to who is it that we see coming next after the four kingdoms spoken about by Daniel, we see in this text one who comes like a son of man. And we examined him last week. It is him that our gaze must be on. It is him that our focus must be on. Whether we are doing things our way or we are doing things God's way. It is him that everything in time is headed to. It is him that all men, young, old, great, and small, will one day stand before. And in times of affliction, it is this one you and I must fix on. We've been answering this question, why must you fix your eyes on him? And if you have a pen and you're writing, the first reason why we must fix our eyes on him is because he, this is an excellent sight in the night. Daniel says, I saw, we focused on that last week, I saw in the night's vision. Another word, behold. The cloud of heaven, the cloud signifies this one who is an excellent sight in the night. One who is the daring of heaven, glorious of all glories. He, as he comes in heaven, all glories fade at the sight of him. And he is ushered into heaven. Verse number 13 tells us that. As he comes with a cloud of heaven, he is then shown as one, secondly, who is elevated above all. All nations and kingdoms, look at verse number 13. One like the Son of Man comes 
He comes with this heavenly horse, with a cloud, the Bible tells us. Who is he? We are told he's one like the son of man. In contrast to the beast that we have seen before this, in contrast to the little horn that is described in the verses that precedes this, this one is a son of man who is just as us with our exact nature like ours. He approaches the ancient of days. He is attended by the clouds of heaven. All the other beasts and other kingdoms, if you see from verses 1 of this chapter, they were coming from the seas. They were coming from below. This one is from above. He is highly elevated above them all. He will tell us in John chapter number 3. He who comes from above is above all. He who comes from below is of the earth. He is from eternity past. He is the son of God. And as he comes to the father, as he is presented to the ancient of days, he is presented before the father. In other words, I want you to, to picture this. This is the champion of our salvation. We looked and examined last week as to where he is coming from. This one, as he enters heaven, as he is ushered into heaven, he is ushered as a champion. Heaven bows before him the book of revelation chapter number five tells us that no one was found worthy to open the scroll that's a picture john sees in the heavenlies right and john tells us as he comes heaven is silent and there's jubilation and there's triumph sounds like that of mighty thunders and he is welcomed and ushered into Yet he is elevated above all kingdoms and kings. He is coming from the earth. This one who was both God and man, who was equally God, who was 100% man, he who embodied our nature, he who was born here on the earth, now in the courts of heaven, elevated above all. That's what verse number 13 tells us. He comes to the ancient of days. You see, this must give us hope. There is every reason for you and I to be hopeful. There is every reason for you and I not to lose heart. And I'm coming to the next point. There is every reason you and I must serve this one. Because we know that the Son of God has been to this earth. Yes, he has gone away. And the very feet of the Lord of glory, to think of that, if you can think of the very feet of the Lord of glory, the very feet and the hands that created everything that you and I see, the one who sustains the world with the word of his power, the creator of the heavens and the earth. The one in whom we live, we move, and we have our being. The one through whom everything was made by him. Without him, nothing was made. 
That one is your elder brother. With the exact nature like ours. He is not a beast. He is not coming to downtrod us. No, he is downtrodden by men. His appearance was not attended with regal pomp and outward splendor. He was not living in one of the beautiful mansions here on earth. He said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He was homeless. His glory was veiled and his divine prerogative were laid aside. He was in the form of God, took upon himself the form of a servant. He who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, he was made in the likeness of you and I, equal to us. That's why the Bible describes him. I want to hammer this. The Bible describes him here as the son of man. Look at what God is doing. In the economy of things, in the economy of history, with all the world's superpowers, with all their pomp, with all their splendor, with all their majesty, God would choose that he would relate with his people, not on account of him coming to them as a superior God, but as a servant. So he who had received the worship of angels would now be born in a manger. That's a Christmas story, isn't it? He condescended. But as he comes and he trades his feet here on earth on his first coming, because this is what the Jews missed. Because when you look at the Son of Man, you're expecting one who has all the splendors and all the majesties that are ascribed in this particular section. One who is coming with an iron scepter that is going to rule the earth and is going to trample over men. No, he comes as a lowly man. Born in a little city called Nazareth. Nothing good could come from that city. Despised in the eyes of the world. He never wrote a book, by the way. Never owned even any property here on earth. But yet, everything belonged and belongs to him. What humility. Majesty veiled in human eyes. How did they welcome him? What welcome did he receive? What effect did his coming cause on the face of the world? What effect would you suppose that he would have had even as he walked on the face of the earth? Should we expect to learn that the birth of the God-man was held as the most wondrous and the blessed event in the history of all men? Should we maybe expect that this one who is coming, who would come here on the earth, men and women, rulers of the earth, would cast their scepters under his feet, their crowns and their accolades, all their glories and their majesties. Should you, do you see that when he came the first time, men were bowing down to him as a king? 
you don't see that. Even now, we don't see him as the object of universal worship, do we? Because carnal minds are against God. Men would not submit to the kingdom of God. Men would, even at any given time, if Jesus Christ would come today, men would still kill him. He will still be crucified. He will still be denied. Because the Christ of God was not wanted, is not wanted, will never be wanted by a sinful nation. Why? Because a sinful people wants to be their own king. His holiness condemns their vile wickedness as sinners. Such that in his first coming, beloved, he comes and he says this. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to preach deliverance to the captives. He came to preach the recovery of the sight to the blind. He came to set at liberty them that were bruised. But John chapter 15 verse 25 tells us, they hated him without a cause. Equal with us. Exalted above all kingdoms. Elevated among us all. Yet as you see the status quo, that's not what we have. So then, it is this one. I want you to see then. Look at verse Number 14, it is to him dominion has been given by the Father. Though the world in all its rebellion does not want this one as their king, I want you to know this, as the scriptures testify to us, this one is and in his first coming, he has begun his kingdom. He is presently exercising dominion on all kingdoms in part. We are still yet to see him manifesting to the fullest. But right now, he tells us, isn't it? Matthew 28, verse number 18 to 20. What does he say? You've memorized the verse. All power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Exalted above all. Although men, when they looked at him, in Mark 12, verses 17, as he gives that parable, they looked at him, they said, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Although in his first coming, as before he was about to come to this place where Daniel actually sees him, Almost 900 years before Jesus comes on the scene. Although men would see that no ordinary death would suffice. And they would see that no ordinary death would appease their hatred of him. And their wicked hearts. They say that he must die the death of a criminal. Although he was not a criminal. He was crucified 
a form of punishment that was reserved for slaves who were guilty for vilest crimes. So God dies. God rejected. God crucified. God mocked, scoffed by men. He created you and I. God despised by men. He actually gives life and breath and all things to all men. The next air you're about to breathe, it is him who determines whether you breathe it or not. If he decides to hold it, not even a machine is able to take that air into your lungs. COVID has taught us that, hasn't it? Who controls that? God of the universe. We slaughtered him. Why is Jesus Christ going through all that? Why is he suffering like that? Why is he condemned such that you and I have no regard for that? Even as I'm saying this, some of you are like, I've heard this before. Why did Jesus Christ do that? Beloved, Christ knew that the powers of the world, including Satan himself, have beheld men and women in bondage. So God takes his kingdom. Look at it in this way. He takes his kingdom. He takes his dominion now. And he hands it over in this one. Who's crushed by the father himself. He takes his kingdom and he hands it over in this one who is killed by the hands of wicked men. And the kingdom is handed over to him. I want you to see the difference. The other kingdoms, if you go and you, let's look together, open your Bibles, go back to John, to the book of Daniel. Let's read together. And I want you to see what's happening concerning the kingdoms of men. Let's look at the interpretation. Because as Daniel looks at the sight as to how the kingdoms of men are going to be so wicked and cruel in killing and shedding blood. Listen to what Daniel says in verse number 15. My spirit within me was anxious. The vision of my heart alarmed me. Daniel recounts to that. And he's given the interpretation in verse 17. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. Speaks to the nature of their modus operandi. They are going to operate as beasts, not as people. They will be vicious and they will shed blood. In the midst of that, Look at the next point, verse number 18. But it is the sense of the Most High God who shall receive the kingdom. And they will possess the kingdom. Not for a time, but forever. How are the saints acquiring the kingdom? Because as you see the second part of this particular chapter, I don't know whether you've seen the observation. Verse number 1 to verse number 
14, we hear of the ancient of days and we hear of the Son of Man. But from verse number 15 all the way to verse number 28, you will hear of the sense of the Most High God. Look at verse number 18 as the first one. But the saints of the Most High God shall receive their kingdom. They will possess it forever. Look at verse number 21. As I looked this horn, it made war against who? Against the saints of the Most High. It prevails against them. And it is until the ancient of days came, judgment was given. And who is receiving the kingdom? The saints of the Most High God. And the time came when the saints... Possess the kingdom. Verse number 25. Look again your Bible. It's not Gideon saying this. Then verse 25 tells us. He shall speak words. Speaking of the Antichrist. We are going there right now. Everything is added here. The, the, the Antichrist shall speak words against the Most High God. He shall wear out who? The sense of the Most High God. And he will think to change the times and the law. They shall be given into his hand. The saints will be given in the hands of the Antichrist. By who? By the sovereign God Almighty, the ancient of days. He will allow that the, 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 this, this beast would have dominion for some time over them. But verse 27 says, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heavens shall be given over to the people of who? Of the sense of the Most High God. So here's the conclusion. That which Christ wins, he wins not for himself. He wins for the sense. Such that then, the words that are found in the book of Romans, chapter number 8, verse 28 to 29, hear them very clearly now. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purposes. Who are these? Listen to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Listen to this. Do not miss this out. Romans chapter 8, verse number 28 to 29. Listen to this. He causes all things to work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Who are these? Verse number 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. To be what? To be conformed to the image of his son. That's a goal. Why? In order that he may be the firstborn among the brothers. So what Christ has done, what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross was not a selfish agenda like the kingdoms of the world. They kill, he gets killed. Isn't it different? They take lives, he gives life. They come and oppress, he comes and he says, come to me, all you are willing and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. It is him, it is him therefore, not only is he exalted above all, not only is he glorious in power and in might, not only is he the one who is elevated above all kingdoms. Beloved, the kingdom that he wins, it is the same kingdom that God also delivers that kingdom to the saints. It is to the Son 
and it is to the saints. So Christ then becomes our hope. When things are not making sense, He is our hope. 1 Timothy 1 verse 1, write those verses down. Jesus Christ is the believer's all in all. Colossians chapter 3 verse number 11. He is our peace. According to Ephesians 2 verse number 14. He is our life. John chapter 14 verse number 6. For no man comes to the Father except through Him because He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Colossians chapter number 3 verse 14. Jesus is our life. He is the one who has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, a sanctification, and redemption. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. He is our hope. So we look forward. We don't look here. We look forward. Romans 8, 24 to 25. We are saved in hope. But hope that is seen is not hope for what is what man sees. Why does he hope in it? But if we hope for that which we do not see, then we do with patience wait for it. It means that we hope in that which we do not yet possess. Christ is our hope. And his personal return is our hope. He shall come back again. And it is him, Jesus Christ, who will receive to himself a people. Our hope is to be taken out of this sin of sin and suffering and sorrow to be where Christ Jesus is. That's our hope. Our hope is to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and then we will be with the Lord forever. That's our hope. Our hope is that we shall be made like him. And we shall see him as he is. This is our hope. It is what Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 4. This is the one hope of our calling. Ephesians 4 verse 4. This is the hope for everything else has failed us. So he is elevated above all. The kingdom is handed over to him. The father does that rightly because he has won that kingdom. He did not kill anyone. He was killed. He did not suppress anyone. He is saving everyone who comes. But yet to this beautiful savior, some would disdain. Some would still think that they do have the power and the audacity to stand against him. Some still think that maybe even thinking about Jesus Christ as our hope, it is actually insane. It's not reasonable. Maybe we need philosophy, one may argue. Or maybe we need civilization. That's archaic. This Jesus story, it's for old people. Isn't it the lies and the deception that the God of this age is lying to our young people? No wonder we don't have them in the church anymore. And we have accepted it. It's okay. Leave them. Don't judge them. They don't have to hear about this. 
No, if they do not submit to this king, I'm sorry, he is coming again and they would have to give account about their lives. There is no time to relax. The king commands and demands us to go out, make disciples of all nations. He is our hope. Some may say maybe hope. Our hope is in philosophy. But philosophy has failed us. Prized in the days, even the time that Jesus Christ was coming. The Greece and, and Rome, they were the leading nations of the earth when it came to philosophy. The goal of every ambitious young man and the desire of that time was to become a philosopher. They were respected. Philosophers were honored by all people. In their inquiry of the existence of God, as they met on Mars Hill, as they met in Athens, Paul recounts for us in Acts chapter 17, doesn't he? He meets them. And they could not find out as to who this God is. And they have this altar to the unknown God. And Paul would warn the believers in Colos. In Colossians chapter number 3, in chapter number 2 verse 18. Listen to how Paul warns concerning philosophers. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. It is known at this particular time, even as Paul writes this, that there was never such a time when philosophy was so thoroughly systematized and so ably expounded as it was in the days of Paul. Men such as Socrates. Rude the age and rude the day. But it is also known that there was never such a time when the society was more corrupt than in those days. And the ruins of ancient Greece bear witness to the failure and the inadequacy of philosophy. So our hope is not in philosophy. Or maybe let's make some laws and rules that, that are going to, be, to, 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 to govern our nation. Let's, let's, let's have some legislature that is going to be able to govern our society. No, the hope of legislation has failed as well. Plato, key man known for that. Endeavor to establish a an ideal republic compiling and enforcing a perfect code of laws across the lands. But same, there was no legislature able to convert and change the sinful, depraved heart of man. Or maybe it's a system of government. We cry against colonialism. We, we cry against all the forms of regimes. Maybe let's move from this, from, from, from this uh, 
from this dictatorship system and have, have a, a free republic, a democratic form of government. Let's move from this apartheid regime and have this free South Africa. But we have crime today even worse than it was before in Africa. Civil wars ravaging our lands. Corruption. What does that tell you? It's not about the systems of government that are going to resolve the issues. Two weeks ago, a young man killed his girlfriend, dismembered every part of her body, put them in the suitcase. How can a person do that? Will the law of the land solve that problem? No. So our hope is neither in the systems of government. Men are doing this because they are not, they, they are not doing this because they are primitive. They are not doing this because they need civilization. No. Men are doing this because men are corrupt by nature. And the only one who is able to save and to ransom the hearts of men is this King Jesus. Such that then our hope is not in some political party. Go vote. Yes, we pray for those leaders in government. That's our mandate. That's our duty. But our hope is not in political parties either. Our hope, beloved, is in this one. The Savior of the world. And we are waiting. We are waiting. We are waiting for his return. It is because of the corruption of everything we see. It is because of everything that has happened from the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter number 3, verse number 15, the seed of the woman who crushed the head of the serpent. It is that seed we long for. We still wait for the day. Yes, he came the first time. Yes. The Israelites would say, for unto us a son, a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Yes, there was that first coming. But guess what we are waiting for? According to Isaiah 9, verse number 6 and 7. Write this verse down. Listen to what verse 7 says. It says, the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and the peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it, he with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even now and forevermore. It is him we wait for. We wait for him to come. And establishes government and peace. It's inseparable. When the Son of Man comes, He is going to set a kingdom here on earth. A literal kingdom, like all other kingdoms. And the saints of the Most High will reign with Him, like all other kingdoms. It is then, it is then, that we shall see the fulfillment of these prophecies. Only that world will make sense. And that is our hope. 
So if you're here this morning and you do not know this Savior, if you're here this morning and you do not even desire, you have this apathy against Him, I want you to see what the Bible describes concerning this Son of Man. The saints who are reigning with Him are saints who are serving Him. Where are they serving Him from? From where are they coming from? Look at your Bible. Look with me. And I want us to see together because this is how we can best apply this. Verse 14 tells us, To him is given dominion and glory that all peoples, all nations, all languages, they should serve him. Whether you speak what language, whether you are from what ethnicity, but all people, all tongues, all tribes, they are coming. They are gathering. What are they doing? They are serving him. These are not men who are beginning to serve him there in eternity. They were serving him here. They did not love their lives even to death. Revelation tells us. They were not self-serving they were not as dogs describing Revelation 22 from verse number 12. Those who are sexually immoral, those who are worshiping idols, those who are in it for themselves. Their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They deny the, 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 the godliness and they think that godliness is a means for financial gain. Forgetting, Philippians 3 verse 20, that our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await the King, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His. So serve Him. Serve Him gladly. Whether it does not make sense or it does make sense, the enemy has been conquered. Victory is set. We are, not, we, are not, we are not fighting from a losing side. So choose this day whom you are going to serve. Are you going to yield your mind, your heart, your hands, your feet unto him? Are you going to yield your strengths, your talents, and all your traces, and all your tikka, your heart, unto him? Or are you going to withhold it to him? What shall he benefit a man if he gets the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will return. And he says, those who are ashamed of me in this age, the Son of Man, same one here, when he shall return with the glory of his angels, the Son of Man will say to you, I never knew He came the first time, was killed. He came the first time, he was executed. But his second return, beloved, he's returning again to execute judgment. His first coming, few people saw him. At his second coming, every eye shall see him. 
At his first coming, only the shepherds went unto him. They bowed before him. They worshipped him. As he was ascending to heaven, only the disciples worshipped him. But my Bible tells me when he's returning again in glory, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So worship him. Serve him with gladness. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Don't say I'm too young. This Jesus thing is an archaic thing. Don't say that I'm too old. This Jesus thing, I've done it and I've finished. No, let us finish well to the end. Because he's coming. And he's coming very soon. May he find us faithful when he returns. So we bow our heads and we pray. Our glorious and eternal God, we bow before you. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. O oh God, we do confess of our insufficiencies and of our inadequacies before you who is worthy to stand before such a holy, a powerful, and a just God. Jesus, you've done so much for us. You've made us a kingdom of priests unto our God. And it is because of your death you have ransomed us. You've given us a kingdom. We see indeed the Father will deliver and has delivered the kingdom in your hands. Yet now, we do not yet see all things as though they were subject to you. But there comes a day when everything, everything will bow before you. Our desire is that before the trumpet will sound, our desire is that before you return with a host of angels, you will find us not as the foolish virgins, as the wise ones. You'll find us not as a foolish steward, but as those wise stewards, using that which you give to us for the honor and the praise of your name. So help this, my dear brother. Help this, my dear sister. Help us as a local church that we will do your biddings. We will serve you in this life. So that when you return again in glory, we will be counted among us those who were faithful. So keep us holy before you. It is in Jesus' name we ask. May God's people say amen.